Hey there, podcast listener. Before we get to the sermon, I want to say thank you for being someone who is a part of the St. Albans community, listening to this podcast. Whether you're somebody in Waco, a member of the church, or somebody far flung, we know that this impacts a lot of people, and thank you for being part of it. Second, as we end the year and you do your year-end giving, we would invite you to consider St. Albans, that this podcast, which benefits you and many others, is supported entirely by the giving of our listeners. So just go to stalbanswaco.org, or if that's too hard to remember, just Google St. Albans Waco and it'll come up. Go to our website and you'll see a blue circle at the bottom right-hand corner. It says Give on it. You could do it right now. If you're listening to this on your smartphone, just go to stalbanswaco.org and tap Give and it'll guide you through it. Same thing on your computer. Just click on the Give circle at the bottom right-hand corner and it'll guide you through a quick, easy, secure online giving process. Again, thank you. May God bless you as you go through this Advent and Christmas season and head into next year. It's all grace, y'all. So, on to the sermon. Let's pray. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The Smiths were a band active for five years in the 1980s, from 1982 to 1987, and if you were a rather angsty college student slash precocious high school kid who was not athletically inclined, you may have listened to the Smiths. They were sort of indie before that was a word, and they combined upbeat British pop with very melancholy lyrics in a mixture that was like catnip for those teens who wore a lot of black. And the Smiths' lead singer was a guy named Morrissey, and Morrissey then went on to have a very successful solo career. And I promise I have a point, which is this. In 2004, Morrissey released an album with a song called I have forgiven Jesus. Well, gosh. You're not supposed to do that. He's the one who forgives us. What's the deal with turning the tables? Well, Morrissey, in this very, I think, bold and sort of courageous song title, uh, it grabbed my attention, and uh, I commend the song to you. And he is um, exploring his own relationship with the church and like many people who grew up in the church he grew up Roman Catholic and was in church every Sunday and he um, found some of the ideas difficult and some of the concepts did not mesh well with his life as the reality of life began to set in Uh, the faith he was given in his childhood sort of ran out of gas you might say and so this song the reason I bring it up is because it uh It expresses something that is exceedingly common, which is disappointment with God, to be disappointed with God. Now, some of you may be actively disappointed with God. Some of you may just be disappointed and you haven't connected it to God yet. Give it time. Um, But uh, this is so, uh, gosh, widespread. I uh, was talking to someone who works at a large Christian institution And this person said that, this was an educational institution, said that uh, over half of their students no longer call themselves Christians. 
They're raised in the church, arrived as Christians. They've uh, gotten off that train. And uh, who, it's probably, you know, there's, there's some things that are um, very particular in that situation, but this experience of feeling like church said something that then um, no longer made sense when life got complicated. Uh, and I met different kinds of people, or I was exposed to different kinds of ideas, or I had a, a personal experience that I couldn't really fit into the way uh, Christianity described how my life was supposed to go. Uh, and so, um, yeah, it, it doesn't work. And there's this disappointment with God and God's representatives. So, in our reading today, we meet this character in Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 11. Uh, who is called John. That's all the text tells us. And I will say, when I meet the Bible writing committee chaired by the Holy Spirit, I will say, could you have please named the people different things? Because there is John the evangelist, the apostle. There is John the divine who wrote the book of Revelation in church tradition. And then there's the one we meet today, John the Baptist, whose name as he's come to be known, John the Baptist, is also confusing because weren't there no denominations in the Bible? (laughs) So I like to call him what I think is a more accurate and clear, in our day, translation, John the Baptizer. So John the Baptizer is the John that is in view here in Matthew 11. And uh, we find him uh, agreeing with you, or at least with Morrissey. He's disappointed with God. And he actually kind of has a very specific beef with Jesus himself. And I want to look at why. Why is he upset? with his cousin, Jesus, and what is the backstory to that, and um, I want to say something about Al Roker's cousin, and then maybe some hope for people who are disappointed with God, or something, a handhold at least. So, Matthew 11, this is the backstory. Matthew 11 is a story of this story we heard today, actual events in the first century in Roman Judea, the country we now call uh, Israel, and uh, the Roman police state kept a kind of tight lid on things, and there was this Jewish uh, troublemaker and activist and self-styled wilderness prophet, John the Baptizer, and he uh, definitely put politics in the pulpit, and he criticized the governor and the scandals that were ongoing, kind of an open secret in the governor's mansion. And the governor did not take kindly to this, and so John the baptizer finds himself in prison, which is when our story opens. It began with, when John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples. He was not running a prison ministry. He was in jail, and his disciples were bringing messages back and forth about this Messiah, the Messiah that he knew. Not only were they related, he was the one who had inaugurated Jesus' ministry by baptizing him in the Jordan River. So he's in prison, and now you know why. But there's even more backstory, which is to say John's ministry by the Jordan River, baptizing people, his whole point was to tell people to get ready because the Messiah was coming. And so you better clean up your act, uh, and not only you individually, but the whole world is going to be set right by the Messiah. The political situation is going to be fixed. The you know the hypocritical... Uh, the posers that are currently in power and just in it for themselves, they're going to be swept out and a new God-fearing uh, reign is going to be ushered in. Uh, all the sinners are going to get judged 
And uh, the Messiah's coming with a flamethrower is essentially what, what John says. But the good ones will be spared and everything will be great. And the reason John the baptizer had this vision of the Messiah, the one who would come and set all things right and make the world perfect, is because he had listened to a lot of the prophets, including Lenny Kravitz. Now, Lenny, thank you, Dan Watkins, front row for those watching online. Love you, Dan. The, um, the Lenny Kravitz uh, is a singer-songwriter, uh, rock star, uh, ex of um, Lisa Bonet. And Lenny was raised um, by an, uh, a Jewish father and a Christian mother, Roxy Roker, from the Jeffersons, who was Al Roker's cousin. So Lenny Kravitz, Al's cousin, rock star, was deeply influenced by his mother's Christian faith and had his own deep uh, connection to the church. And if you start listening to Lenny's lyrics, you'll hear a lot of God stuff in there. And uh, Lenny wrote in 1993 in about five minutes, and this is, uh, sometimes you hear artists uh, talk about getting sort of connected to something outside themselves and a work of art just arrives. That's what Lenny said about this song. And in five minutes he wrote and recorded, Are You Gonna Go My Way? which is one of his biggest hits to date. And if you don't think you've heard it, you probably have. You can listen to it on the way home. But in this song, Lenny, in an interview with Rolling Stone, said that what he was trying to give voice to in Are You Gonna Go My Way is what Jesus would say to us. And the song says, I'm the chosen, I'm the one, I have come to save the day, and I won't leave until I'm done. Now, this is exactly what John the baptizer heard in reading the prophets in the Hebrew scriptures, that the Messiah was coming, the chosen, the one, and he would save the world, and he wouldn't leave until he was done. He would set all things right. And so John is there, now in prison, but still waiting expectantly, hoping. I can see him sort of eating his popcorn, just waiting to see what the Messiah is going to do. And he knows he's going to get the flamethrower for the bad guys and get all the Romans out of power and make a good, happy, theocratic government with the right people running things. And the, the sinners would be punished. And it would be great. It would be paradise on earth. That's what the Messiah has come to do. That's what the prophet said the Messiah would do. And he's waiting for it to happen. And it's not happening. And John is disappointed with God. He's disappointed particularly with Jesus, this Messiah. And so that's why he sends this unbelievable message. He is the one who baptized Jesus, saw the Holy Spirit like a dove descend upon him, say, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. John had known Jesus since he was a baby in utero. You can go into this room and see a stained glass window of John greeting Jesus. They're both still in utero. It's Mary and Elizabeth coming together, as you can read in the Gospels, and John is leaping for joy at the presence of Jesus, his Savior. So John knows exactly who Jesus is. He's known his whole life. His whole purpose was to proclaim his arrival, and now he's here, and he's massively let down because Jesus isn't doing uh, what he thought. His reality does not match his expectations, and you may have once or twice in your life felt that reality did not match your expectations. You know this if you um, have ever been on a honeymoon. That's, I was nervous. I didn't know if you would laugh at that. It was a little too, <laughs> a little too, you know this if you um, have had children. 
You thought you were going to be one kind of parent, and then you weren't. You thought this, you had this experience um, if you uh, got a promotion, and you thought that once I get to this level, I'll be able to finally do the things, and I won't have to put up with all the things that I don't like about my job, and you find out now they're just new things to not like. Everybody goes through experiences, and it's not to say there are not wonderful things about a honeymoon, about raising children, about being a human being, about having a job, but there are many, many things in life where you feel like reality does not match your expectations, and John is going through this in a deep way, asking the Messiah, are you really, maybe you didn't read what your job description was, Jesus, but you're not doing it right. Not only are the Romans still in power, uh, not only are uh, um, bad people sort of getting a pass from Jesus, he is hanging out with them. He's going on road trips with them. There's all, John is there scrolling through Instagram. It's just selfie after selfie of Jesus with sinners. And he's like, what up? <laughs> he's forgiving people who don't even ask for forgiveness and who haven't even, when they do, maybe they haven't groveled enough or been sufficiently apologetic, yet he's just forgiving them. He's not settling John's scores. This is what we want Jesus to do a lot. There's people I don't like. I'd like them to not do well in life. For their own good, Lord. For their own good. (laughs) And Jesus isn't doing that. He's not making everything right. So Advent has two things to say for people that are disappointed with God. Probably more things, but let's just limit it. First, it acknowledges that you like Mugatu, played by Will Ferrell and Zoolander, are not taking crazy pills. If you are disappointed with how reality does not match expectations, there is nothing wrong with you. John the baptizer shows us that this is a common, nay, even universal experience in the life of faith. You're not doing it wrong. This is what it means sometimes to be someone who is attempting to grab onto the spiritual and see past the day-to-day to that thing we call God, that person at the heart of the universe. And as you're doing that, um, you will find experiences that don't match with what you expected. And John is saying that that is normal. Because as Jesus says, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Basically, <laughs> If you want to look at what it means to sort of follow God with all your heart, look at John, and John is going through this experience. So if he is not spared from it, you will not be either. And so you are not, um, you haven't missed some memo. John is the memo. And it's acknowledged in the collect today. The collect is the prayer we have at the beginning of every service. It's this little Episcopalian thing, and it is supposed to collect or gather the kind of main idea and the petitions of the people in a prayer that will give you the theme of the day, essentially, in our worship services. And the collect for today is one of the best in the prayer book. It's in my top five. And it is this because it begins with such an urgency It forgets to say the name of God at the beginning of the prayer. It begins with the petition, and it's actually not really a petition. It's more of a command. Stir up thy power, O Lord. It doesn't begin with, O Almighty God, giver of all good gifts. It doesn't, no, just stir up thy power. Come rescue me immediately. I am drowning. So it acknowledges this reality. Advent acknowledges that Jesus' job is not done. We are sorely hindered by our sins, the colic says. 
So the um, second thing that Advent wants to say, above just sort of reminding you that you are normal and you didn't miss the memo, the second thing is um, it's reminding us that Jesus' job isn't done and he is coming back. Lenny was wrong, sort of, in having Jesus say, I won't leave until I'm done. I mean, yes, he's here through his church and he's here through his word and he's here through the body of Christ and he's given us the spirit, but Jesus has left the building. At least compared to how he was when he walked on the planet. And we are in this time of waiting and Jesus has promised to come back and this is the hope for people who feel like present reality does not match expectations. Jesus says, yes, I know. And that's why I'm coming back, to set everything right. Now, I have to say a little P.S. here, because many of you have been told that Jesus is coming back, and you were formed by a tradition in which that news was terrifying. And I just have to say that one of the messages of Advent is Jesus is coming back. Lo, he comes with clouds descending. Yet, he is coming to save. And we know this because of what we see every time he meets a human being in the Gospels. Like I said, he does what John doesn't want. He's like, oh, you're forgiven, and you're forgiven, and you're, for- oh, and you're healed, and you're healed too. Oh, and now you're not dead anymore. <laughs> That's what he does all the time. This is who Jesus is. This is who's coming back. You don't have to be terrified. You can wait with hopeful, joyful expectation that he knows that your expectations never panned out in reality and that's why he's coming back to set all things right and he promises to do that. This helps me, at least, zoom out a little bit and remember the big picture and remember with hope that he's coming back and I want to just plant a little seed in your brain right now so that when you hear it later, my hope is that the Holy Spirit will get out the holy highlighter and circle and underline it for you because this is the message. The other thing that changes year to year, Sunday to Sunday, in the Episcopal liturgy, not just the collect of the day, but something called the proper preface, which when we go to the Lord's table for Holy Communion, we'll do the thing, the Lord be with you and also with you, etc. And then there's a part called the proper preface that changes. And, you will, and it's always asking God to do something. Um, and in this one, we say that we would rejoice to behold your appearing without shame. And until that day, I bet there will be many times where you feel both shame and fear. But I pray that this will ring like a bell in your ears this morning when you hear it and that the Holy Spirit will call it to mind as you walk through your life, as you leave this place, that because of who we know Jesus is, you can rejoice without shame or fear. Imagine what the, Imagine. Imagine, no shame or fear. And whether you feel it or not, because of what Christ has done, that great mystery, that can begin today. Let us pray. Almighty God, stir up your power. Help us now. And especially help us to believe that We can let go of shame and fear because of your great love for us that you've shown us in your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.